So we're going to be in Acts. We're in our year-long series, beginning of a movement. And we're going to start off in, in 4 and 5. And we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures. I'm not going to analyze all the scripture texts we're going through. We're going to give you an overview of something. And so, to, you know, we've kind of seen now, last, last of fall, you know, and we saw a lot about Jesus and, and, all, and all that. And now we're kind of getting to the church. And so today's lesson is kind of like, really, if I entitled it just for me, it's, it's so it begins. Because we're going to talk about something that begins. There's a fascinating thing in the New Testament. And what I don't think people realize there's something, there, there is a characteristic that is a part of the Christian faith that has affected just about every generation and every culture of Christianity, except one. In the last 200 years, give or take, for so about a tenth of the Christian history, the Western culture in general, and Americans specifically, so Western Europe, Australia, and specifically America, has been exempt from a part of the Christian experience that is normative for most Christians, including most Christians in the world today. Most of the countries where you will find Christianity growing is experiencing what I'm going to talk about today, tonight, and that is persecution. And I don't think as Americans we fully, fully realize Realize that. Now, and I'm thankful. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad. God has blessed us. And there's reasons for it. And I understand. I understand the reasons for it. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't know that we fully grasp how common persecution is to Christianity. Several times in the last year or two, I've seen World Health Organization, different aspects of the United Nations, which that is a part of, say... The number one persecuted group in the world by identity, Christians. Number one persecuted group of people in the world is Christians. It's not that uncommon. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 3, I should say. As the beginning of the movement, the church movement, Peter and John heal a man that's lame. He's born lame. I, I preached about it, I think, this fall. I know when I came in view of a call almost five years ago, I actually preached from Acts 4.12. Uh, Salvation is found in no one else. Know the name under heaven. Get him on me. You must be saved. All of that came out of what happened in Acts 3. They healed this man. In chapter 4, now they're preaching and teaching. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people. Now, the priest and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. And a lot of people, in verse 4 says, and many of those who heard believed. The number of men came to about 5,000. It's just men. So you have them proclaiming Jesus. And people are being saved. This is the result of what had happened in chapter 3 of healing this guy. And so they get arrested. So now, for the first time since Jesus, the church is going to be harassed. Verse 5 says, The next day the rulers and the elders and scribes are gathered together in Jerusalem. These were the guys also who had earlier put Jesus to death. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. In other words, 
Caiaphas was technically the high priest, as we know from when Jesus was crucified. But Annas, he was uh, his father-in-law. He kind of he was kind of like the head head. I mean, he was a former high priest, and so he retained the title. But he was his father-in-law. He was the head of the family. It's just you, you kind of get the picture. And so when they had placed him in the center, they began to inquire what power or in what name have you done this? And Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers and other people, if we're on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, in other words, because we healed him, as to how this man has been made well, let me know to all of you and the people of Israel, that the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, <laughs> whom God raised from the dead, by this man, uh, by his name, this man has been healed. Now, I preached on Peter a few weeks ago. I kept saying, what did Peter always preach? You crucified him, God raised him from the dead. Verse 13 said, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize him as having been with Jesus. So now they understand. These were some of the guys who were with Jesus who we put to death. But seeing the man had been healed with him, they had nothing to say in reply. They didn't, you know, this guy's healed and everybody understood. So what do you do? They ordered them to leave the council and began to confer with one another. And, you know, and they said, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. And, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any a man in this name. And they summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So this is important. For the first time, the Jewish rulers are telling the apostles, do not preach about Jesus anymore. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. So they rebelled. We're not stopping. They threatened them, and they let them go. Now, at the end of chapter 4, we are told that, once again, that the church began to grow, began to grow, began to grow. So some things pass, some events in chapter 5, and then we come to verse 17 in chapter 5. Because they're still preaching and teaching. The high priest rose, rose, uh, rose up along with his associates, and that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy because of the growth of what was happening, that people were following these apostles. So they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go and stand and speak to the people in the temple. Until the, the whole message of his life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They went right back to doing what they were doing before. Then the high priest and the associates, and they called the council together, and all the senate and the sons of Israel, they sent order to the prison house and then be brought. And the officers came, did not find them in the prison. And they returned and saying, they're gone. And so they were told, basically in verse 25, they're standing and preaching. In verse 26, the captain went along with the officials and brought them back without violence. For they were afraid of the people. They were afraid of the people might too. So, you know, they go through a little bit all again. They explain, we told you not to say anything. What do we do? In verse 33, Gamaliel, they, want to, they basically want to put these guys to death. Gamaliel, who taught Paul, he was the son of a great rabbi named Hillel, intervenes. And verse 40 says, they took his advice. They called the apostles in, and now notice, they flocked them. So now they beat them in order not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. So they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus, and now we're beating you to drive home the point. They went on the way from the presence. Notice in verse 41 it says, rejoicing they have been considered worthy to suffer 
shame for his name. Can you imagine the concept in America of rejoicing for being persecuted and suffering for the cause of Christ? We can't imagine that. Uh, we, 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 we think it, you know, you know, if we, you know, we tell some people about Jesus and they call us a name. And we walk away and we strut and say, yeah, I'm proud to be a Christian. I even suffered some minor name calling in the name of Christ. Right there with the apostles. These guys were beaten. Remember yesterday, Sunday, when I talked about Paul, if you were here Sunday, and all the suffering that Paul had halfway through his ministry, beaten five times with the whip, three times with the rod. I mean, they tried to kill him. We're going to see in a minute when they're trying to kill him. I mean, these guys said, we're suffering for the glory of the Lord. They understood that being persecuted for Jesus was going to be the norm, not the exception. In John's gospel, in the upper room, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says, if the world hates me, guys, they're going to hate you. And they understood that. The words that Jesus said to the apostles apply to us as well. We love to apply the words of Jesus that we like, right? When Jesus says something, that applies to us. When he says, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. Well, that, that doesn't apply to me. That's those guys. No, it's us guys. Because that's in the same passage where Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, but also in me. That's in the same passage, in the same part, where he says, three things remain. I mean, where he says, um, the, the, but he asks, how do we follow you? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. That's, that's in that passage. That's in the passage where he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. In that same passage, he says, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. All of that belongs to us. We just haven't experienced a lot of hate in the faith. So now that happens. In verse, in chapter 6, they choose seven men to help the apostles. By the way, the men aren't called deacons. I said all the time, they're not called deacons. Seven men. Verse 8, one of those guys, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And in verse 9, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including some Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which which he's speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they lied in order to, to get these guys. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They brought him, uh, him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses. And so then in chapter 7, he speaks and they kill him. First one of the believers to die for Christ, chronologically. And we're told at the end of chapter 7, there was a guy named Saul who was giving hearty approval and all of that. Then, Sunday, I preached from chapter 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Great persecution began against the church. They were scattered. Verse 3, 
Saul began ravaging the church. Preached about that last Sunday. I'll go over that. Then in verse, and then they were scattered about. Then verse four. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were given attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard and saw the signs which he performed. And in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. Many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city, because salvation was come to those people. Now think about this. Why did salvation come to the Samaritans? Or to the people. Because Philip had to leave Jerusalem. And that's where he went. Why did Philip have to leave Jerusalem? Because the church was being persecuted by the Jewish leaders. Not the Romans. The Jews were persecuting other Jews who had become followers. See, we usually think of the Romans as persecuting the Christians. The early persecution was by the Jews. So this great revival began. God used the persecution to fulfill the Great Commission. He used the persecution to fulfill Acts 1.8 when he said, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And Philip is in Samaria. It's an amazing thing when you think about what God is doing in the life of this church, we lay all the church is growing. The church is doing great. Yeah, and they're being persecuted. See, I hear people say, we want to be a church like the church in Acts. It's great. Except for the persecution. You don't want that. Let's be honest. We want all the good stuff. We want the Holy Spirit come down. I pray. I, how many times have I been in a sitting in a revival and some old boy gets up there and he starts praying and he starts preaching out of Acts to the Holy Spirit come down. And we need the Holy Spirit. And we need all of this stuff. That's great. You know what he never asked? You know what he never calls upon? For the persecution. Because it went with it. It's part of the history. It's the record of the early church. Why did they grow? Well, the Holy Spirit came. That's why they grew. Why did they grow? Oh, yeah. Persecution came. And so you know what happens when there's persecution in a church? You only, only the truly followers of Christ are going to stick through that, right? If you're not truly a follower of Christ, if you're kind of in there, if you kind of come to church because it looks good for your business, and you come to church because that's how you grew up, and you just, you just sort of go through the motions, you know what persecution does? It forces you to make a choice and oftentimes those types of folks will say not for me and what's left are the true believers it's an amazing thing so chapter 9 Paul gets saved chapter 9 verse 23 Paul starts preaching many days had elapsed the Jews plotted together to do away with him who Paul so they put the plot Became known to Saul. That is Saul. He called Saul. They tried to kill him. Verse 29. He was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. And they were attempting to put Paul to death. He just got there. He was the guy killing the Christians. He became a Christian. And they're now trying to kill him. Skip over. Chapter 12. Verse 1. About that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. 
first of the apostles. When he saw, notice this, that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. It's during the days of the unleavened bread. Why did he arrest Peter? To put Peter to death. Flip over. Chapter 13, verse 14. Paul and Barnabas are in Pisidian Antioch. Then go to verse 48. They're in Pisidian Antioch. When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. That's an unusual phrase, appointed to eternal life. What does that mean, I wonder? And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women. You see, women, you want to be equal? In the church, you get to persecute people also. And the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their districts. Verse 14, chapter 14. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and bitter them against the brethren. In chapter, I mean, chapter 14, verse 8. And Lystra, they're in Lystra, I should say. And look what happens in Lystra in verse 19. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They gathered together. They came and hunted him down in Lystra. And having went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And he wasn't. (laughs) We're not even at the Council of Jerusalem yet. That's in chapter 15. Chapter 16, Paul in Philippi. He's getting put in prison. Chapter 17, verse 5. Chapter 17, he's at Thessalonica. In verse 5 of chapter 17, the Jews became jealous, taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and were attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. They were going to persecute them. They left. Verse 13, Paul's in Berea. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, and agitating and stirring up the crowds. In chapter 19 at Ephesus, In verse 23, we read about a guy named Demetrius who stirs up the crowds to come after him. In chapter 20, Paul in Macedonia, when the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the other disciples. And when he expected them to take a leave, they left to go to Macedonia. And in Macedonia, they went through the same thing. They end up in Jerusalem. In chapter 21, people were glorifying in verse 20. God and said, see all that's happened. In verse 27, Paul's in the temple in chapter 21, seven, you know, doing some stuff there. And, you know, they were in the, the time for, he set himself apart with a vow. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, Jews came from Asia to Jerusalem. But upon seeing the temple, began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on him. They drug Paul out to try to kill him. Chapter 23, verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under oaths saying they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. I guess they starved to death because they didn't kill him. Do you get the picture? Then, when Acts ends, you know, Paul's in prison in uh, Rome. He gets released. Remember Sunday, I told you he preached. Uh, he was in prison again in 2 Timothy. And he talks about his impending death. Now he's in prison at the hands 
of Nero. Nero's going to put him to death. Nero begins the systematic persecution of the church by the Romans. Towards the end of the first century, there was an emperor named Domitian. When you come to the book of Revelation, John writes a book to seven churches. He has a vision. They're suffering persecution. I know people say, when are we ever going to study Revelation? I'm going to give you about five minutes right now. Revelation is a fascinating book. And so many people have so many different views. And most of them are wrong. <laughs> part of, probably part of the things that I believe are right. It's tough. I was uh, in 1980, excuse me, 1990. It's been so long ago, I can't remember what decade. I was working on my doctorate, and so I was in, um, when, did I get, when did I get my master's? In 89, right? Huh? So I was working on my doctorate. Okay. And so, in uh, 90. So I was in a colloquium, and uh, we were talking about end times. And there were about 13 of us, and one of the guys there was the bishop of the church in St. Petersburg, not Florida. Russia. Used to be called Stalingrad. Not, not the Orthodox Church, but the Evangelical Church. They had just come, they had just come out of all this stuff. It may have been 91. It was after, after the, everything had fallen. And so we were talking about all this stuff. And so we were fascinated to hear his viewpoint. And he said, this is, this is what I want to tell you. I come out of a persecuted church, and we're still persecuted by the way. They were still persecuted. When we read the book of Revelation, it never enters our mind that we may not suffer persecution. See, a lot of you come to the book of Revelation and see how you get out of the persecution of the tribulation. Now, you're mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib, whatever. He said, because we suffer persecution every day. He said, Christians have always suffered persecution. We come to the book of Revelation, and what we see is that in the end, we win. Well, I... That about sums up Revelation. Pretty good job. Whatever you believe is fine. I'm I'm not, that's cool. I don't have problems with it. But whatever you believe, you better believe this, that this book was written to seven real life actual churches. They're not fictional churches. It's not different, seven different periods of the church life. It's not what it says. Because here's what John says. He says to the church at Ephesus, chapter 3, verse 3, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You have persevered. In verse 9, to the church of Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Verse 13 to Pergamon. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. You keep reading. You get to chapter 4, and who is there? The martyrs who have died for the faith. And you just keep reading and reading of all the horrible things that are going to happen. To those people, they were living that out. And at the end of the book, Jesus tells John, tell him this. All of Satan and all of his kingdom will be destroyed. It has already been pre 
determined, predestined, predestined. And I went out. And guess what? You're going to walk streets of gold. You need the fruit of the tree of life forever. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because in part, in America now, we start to feel a little bit of pressure, don't we? We think we have it rough. I get stuff all the time. It's possible that at some point the government may no longer let you take your contributions to the church and write them off as tax deductions. And people in church life are panicking. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? What is that? I mean, that's persecution? Now, I don't want that to happen. Don't get me wrong. I want to keep my tax deductions. You know why? Because I give a lot of money to the church, and I don't want to pay taxes on it. I don't know about you, but I want to keep every penny I got. I'll give it to the church. I hate paying taxes. Does anybody work for the IRS here? <laughs> I always pay my taxes. And I actually, I like to give the IRS a little extra. I kick in, you know. I need to ask forgiveness. No. So I, love, I don't get that. That's not persecution. That's nothing. We get made fun of from time to time. I know we don't like it. I get that. But we would be greatly blessed to understand what we've experienced as a nation for 200 years is unheard of. It has allowed us to grow. But here's the interesting thing. Get this. Christianity in America has stopped growing. Now, some groups grow. Baptists, we're, we're, doing, we're doing all right. Somebody God's doing okay. Um, non-denominational churches are growing. Evangelical churches are growing. Catholics are always doing good. I don't know how. You've got to give it to the Catholics. They always find a way. But on the whole, Christianity is declining. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit might say, well, if you're not going to grow and reach people the way it's been going on, maybe, just maybe, we need to help you grow and reach people the way they've done it throughout the rest of the world, throughout the rest of history. Amen, I don't want that. But it's just what I understand. If persecution comes to the church in America in any shape, form, or fashion, the church in America will begin to reach people for Jesus. Why? Because that's what the church has always done. You know the fastest growing Christian nation in the world? I heard it. Who said it? China. Very good. You've heard me say this before. That's the only reason you know this. So for those who say you've lost your memory, kudos. Evidently you haven't. Either that or Kevin was feeding you the info and you're just, okay. Kevin says China and Jim says it's China. So here you go. By the year 2030, China will have more Christians than any nation in the world, including America. China is one of the five most persecuted places in the world for Christians. So how does that work? Who, anybody? You don't have to raise your hand because they'll give your age away. But some of you probably remember when 
China became communist in 1947-48, whenever it was, and they kicked all the missionaries out. I, rem- I remember that from church history. My mama was a child when that happened. So I don't, you know, she don't remember it. But I, I remember, and I remember this. Everybody was worried that when all the missionaries were kicked out, China's Christian growth would collapse. So when China opened the doors back up for the West and the Christian church went back in there to see what was going on, they were shocked because Christianity had grown. You know, in Western Europe, Christianity is dying, what we call it. In Eastern Europe, it's flourishing. It's amazing. The last last statistic I saw in Africa, about 7 million Muslims a year become followers of Christ, where it is outlawed, and they can be put to death. (laughs) Wrap your head around that. So, America sometimes has the false idea that we've replaced Israel as God's people. It's bumper sticker, Jeru, USA, loan like we're it. I know a lot of guys like that. And that's fine. I, I, I love them in Christ, whatever works for you. The church replaced Israel as God's people. That's just a biblical thing, but that's all right. We should not expect special status as a geopolitical unit because we live in America. As if for some reason God owes us not being persecuted. The the clock is ticking. It is running out. Persecution is coming. Every sign points to it. I'm not saying you're going to be dragged out of your house and beaten. I'm not saying we put to death. But America is ceasing to be a Christian nation, if it ever was one. It is a secular nation. Now, you, you, you want to pray for it not to go that way? I'm with you. You want to vote certain ways? I'm with you. But the survival of Christianity in America is not dependent on our political leaders. Christianity in America is dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit through his church. And if the Holy Spirit thinks it's going to be more advantageous for the kingdom for us to suffer persecution, guess what will happen? Because that's what always happens. Korea, China, India, all the, every socialist nation that exists, every Muslim nation, Cuba, South America, just start naming the countries, all, you know, just, just all the Middle East. That's what happens. So why am I saying all this? Because here's the good news. When persecution came to the church in Acts, the church grew exponentially. It's amazing. So it kind of torn because, Lord, I'd really like to see that kind of growth. Just don't really want to have to suffer for it to happen. That's, that's, where, I, that's where I stand. Yeah. So... The challenge in for us is we better get out there and share the gospel. Because here's what I know about church history, but more important, here's what I know about scripture. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to bring people to Jesus one way or another. 
Just remember, what we're talking about from a Christian standpoint of life isn't what's on this earth. Go to the end of the book of Revelation. That's the forever promise. That is eternity. And we want, we want to see as many people in eternity as possible. We can't be like the, the, old, the old poem shared in the Presbyterian church. You Presbyterian, don't be offended by this. Well, they used to say, we are God's chosen few. All others be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. For we can't have heaven cramped. We want to see heaven cramped with people. Wherever God has to do it, we have to be prepared to deal with that. So, if you want to be a first century church, if you want to go back to the way they did it in Acts, well, you may have to do it the way they did it in Acts after all. Persecution may come. Questions you may have. See, Joe's not here, so I don't have to keep you long. It makes Brian happy. Anything? Going once, twice. So, we'll see y'all Sunday.